Hi, I'm James Brooks, and welcome to From the Factory Floor, a conversational podcast about all things startup and tech, brought to you by the folks at thestartupfactory.tech. So welcome everyone to episode 13, somehow we've made it this far, of the From the Factory Floor podcast. Today is all about marketing, and seeing as none of us at TSF are particularly experts, we've invited along Georgia. Hi Georgia. Hi James. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, you're very welcome. I mean, you're far better placed than I or uh, Mr. Raymond, who's also with us today. Morning. I just hope it's not an unlucky 13, James, this one. Well, I'm certainly <laughs> hoping not. Burnley won this week, so Jordan North. <laughs> well, City beat Olympinarkos last night as well, so uh, it's proving to be a good week so far. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I think that, that's our quota for football chat for the week as well. So we managed to take that all within the intro. So... So, George, do you want to just do a quick introduction to yourself, who you are, what you do? Sure. Thanks, James. Um, so my name is Georgia Kirk. I run a company called Right Business Results. And myself and my team help business leaders become published authors of expert content. So books, blogs and podcasts. And in putting that content together for them in a done-for-you style, we help them build their brands and become seen and heard as thought leaders in their space. So for any of the astute among you, probably worked out that we're doing a podcast. <laughs> and, uh, it is indeed Georgia that's helping us with said podcast. That's probably a timely reminder as well, just to say we're also doing a book with Georgia that we are due to publish the in Q1 of, of next year, probably January, February time, I think, James. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we're still aiming for mid-January now that my artistic skills have been put to the test and uh, all the expert content has now been written to go into it. So today's podcast episode is all about marketing. So I think... Obviously, is a marketing novice, and uh, obviously we've got an expert with us in Georgia. I mean, when we're talking about marketing, and obviously, Guy, you had quite a lot of experience in our previous life at Kate Solutions. When we talk about marketing, what do we mean by marketing? What do people, what's the understanding of it? Okay, so I think, you know, from my slightly less educated perspective than Georgia, maybe, but, you know, every business I've been involved with, small business, startups, you know, marketing is one of the key elements. You know, there's a few key elements. You've got to have the right people. You've got to have the, the right idea, the right product or service. And then you've got to be able to tell people about it. So that's how important marketing is. It's in the top five, probably top three things that you're going to do with your startup, your new company. So you have to have a proper think about how you're going to market your product, who your audience is, you know, yeah, who's going to buy it really. So, and reach out to them and appeal to them. So you need a plan. So hopefully we'll discuss some ideas about how that can be done today. George, what do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And um, I think where it sort of differs from sales, obviously marketing and sales are really connected. But with marketing, it's, as you've just said, Guy, specifically about the ways in which you put out who you are and what you do to the right people as well. So it's, you know, figuring out who you want to be having your conversations with and then working out how to engage those people using different ways to do that. And I think, James, as well, you know, we, you know, at the Startup Factory, we see quite a, a varied plethora of ideas and strategies as to how all our startups kind of mark. And some are clearly better than others right off the bat. And, you know, then it's a case of trying to help the ones that, you know, probably haven't thought about it enough or don't know enough about it, trying to help them with their ideas. So, again, you know, some of the stuff we're going to talk about now, I think, will hopefully trigger some of the thought process. And if there's any budding entrepreneurs or people that have already got a startup and they're looking at 
how to do marketing. Hopefully, some of these ideas will come in useful. I'm hoping so. Like you say, Guy, I mean, one of the most interesting things about obviously TSF and obviously your previous life in Cake was that I know Georgia mentioned then is that marketing and sales are very related. Cake didn't have a sales team. And obviously, we don't have a sales team at TSF. So it's almost marketing is its own thing and is almost completely different, but is was your sales room. Yeah, we didn't have a sales team. In reality, we didn't have a marketing department, as most startups don't. And quite frankly, we didn't have a clue <laughs> when we started. And, you know, the reality was when we first started, we, you know, we were in a, you know, the, the way I went about it. And, you know, everybody's in slightly different situations, but we didn't have the money to put, you know, we started the company on £15,000. And that had to see us through the first three months before we started generating income and generating a cash flow. So, you know, even in those days, that was back in 2001, you know, 15 grand wasn't a huge sum of money. So it goes to show that you can do these things cheaply. And quite frankly, we went door knocking on ev- all the businesses in the mill that we were based in. So we were based in a big old cotton mill in Stockport. You know, when we moved into the top floor, it didn't even have carpets on the floor. It was that new. I remember Prince Charles coming to actually open it and we've been in there a year. So, but you know, the point is there was a lot of people who were startups in that building. They needed help with websites and, you know, basic software stuff. And that's what we did. So I went around and knocked on every door and we won the first 12 months of our existence were run on business that we won by doing that door knocking and having a chat with people and introducing ourselves. And they, I'm going, well, actually we need a website or we need a database or, you know, we need this, we need that. It was all very basic stuff, but it was enough to get us off the ground. So that was the first thing, I think. And then, you know, as we matured as a startup and we were still startup, we moved into other areas. So I don't know whether you want me to talk about some of those other areas now or. I think just before you do that, I'd like to sort of bring Georgia and just say, you know, how common is it? Obviously, you work with a lot of companies and sort of handle a lot of their outbound marketing. Mm-hmm. How common is it companies won't have a dedicated sales team and almost rely solely on marketing? Obviously, we can go into what Guy did and how uh, Kate Solutions managed it and successfully got to where it did by the end. But how common is that as an approach? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's becoming increasingly common. So, you know, around the time what Guy's describing with Cake, it was really a unique sort of concept and approach. And over the last sort of three years in particular, using marketing and content specifically uh, to grow a business is now normal. So it's the new normal. And it's been ramped up again by what's happened through 2020 with the pandemic and the lockdowns. And it will continue, you know, through 2021 and it will become just the thing that happens that face to face is now no longer an option. So if you have a sales team, secure phone calls. And so you can either have a team of whatever that needs, you know, two, three, five people or more, you know, constantly on the phone, dialing and dialing and dialing and trying to start conversations often cold with people who don't really want to talk to them. Or you can be, you know, putting some really expert, really value-led content out there into the world and letting people disqualify themselves. And so the people who are interested are going to be engaging with you. And not only is it a more cost-effective way of doing things, but it's also far more powerful in terms of the overall impact on the business because you're unequivocally the experts in that case. And you don't have to personally be the one once you create the content and put it out it's out there and it can work for you over and over again you know so podcasts for example have a what the, what marketers would call a long tail so the longer an episode exists it doesn't just disappear when it's been out for a week it actually gets more downloads more listens every week it goes out and the new episodes bring attention to the previous episodes that same compounding effect is seen to work with books and with blogs as well so building your business and, and that includes increasing your revenue through creating content 
actually the only option viably businesses have from now on. Yeah, I mean, I guess Guy, again, sort of leaning onto your experience with Cake, sort of obviously Georgia mentioned a couple of different routes in terms of books, blogs, and podcasts. Now, I know we didn't do a podcast at Cake because uh, most developers are slightly introverted folk and um, very good at churning out code and writing, oftentimes writing blogs. Was it just, was it mainly blogs that Cake sort of obviously built its reputation on? To full, full blown company, really. In the end, yes, but we didn't start like that. So, you know, blogs, <laughs> show me age slightly here now, but blogs <laughs> weren't a thing. You know, they, were, they just weren't, you know, they weren't out there. They weren't the blogging platforms back in sort of 2000 and, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, that kind of time. So actually where we started was with books. And it's the same theory, right? It's expert content. It's just a different era. And we then moved from, we wrote six books on our subject, you know, areas of expertise they were all published and, you know, one of them ended up being a, in the computing world, a, a bestseller. It was translated into 13 languages and, you know, the authors actually made a reasonable amount of money out of it. But that wasn't why we did it. You know, the authors made the money, they didn't make any money out of it. But what the company got was notoriety. And it's exactly the same theory. So, you know, we wrote the books first and that's quite a big undertaking. That's quite a big commitment. You know, one of the books was something like 1,200 pages. It was a proper doorstop. You know, proper wedge of pages. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think if you weren't technical, it was probably a cure for insomnia. But um, you know, in, in the tech world, that you know that w- it was a bible at that point for uh, the technology that we were writing about, and that one as business. You know, we got inbound phone calls on the back of that book where people said, "We want to use this technology. We're going to call you." And I think you know, rolling forward a few years, we then started to we kind of fell in it if i'm honest into it you know our cto was doing some research and development he was doing loads of experiments and he began to blog about them he began to talk about them at conferences Uh, and these are all things that i think a startup can do now we'll come on to the balance and you know how much time do you dedicate to this kind of thing as opposed to how much time do you dedicate to running the business and developing the service or product that you're building but you know any startup can write a blog every week it doesn't have to take, you know, it's probably a four-hour commitment as a rule, maybe less, maybe slightly more, depending on how much research you have to do. But if it's your area of expertise, the reality is you probably can do it reasonably quickly. And as Georgia says, you know, blogs, podcasts, they have long tails. They're sat out on the internet forever and a day. People can find them. So, you know, when they're keying in into Google a search for something and, and it's relevant to what you do, then you will appear on that list somewhere. And you know, hopefully that will drive traffic to that piece of content. It will continue to work for you. So, you know, you can do your blogs, you can do your conference talks, you can do your user group talks. And that kind of brings us into another area. So we talked about expert content, but I also think that communities come into this conversation as well. You know, the tech community, I think, led the way with this type of thing where, you know, there was a very active community of people within certain technologies that would go to conferences, that would go to user groups, that were really passionate about that, you know, those areas of technology. And I think content, generating expert content and delivering it as a podcast, as a blog, as a user group talk, as a conference talk, whatever it is, you know, what you're doing is you're giving back to your community. And some of those people in the community might work for potential customers, and that's the way it worked. And the beautiful thing about doing all this type of stuff where you're, you're doing really interesting work 
for your clients or you're building a product that has technically you know some elements of ai that you want to talk about now you don't want to give away the crown jewels but you do want to you know you do want to tell people how you solve certain problems you don't have to give them everything and that really helps the community but in doing so you're helping your company because you're putting yourself out there and i've seen this work and as james says you know at kate we literally had no salespeople. we didn't have a marketing department but we did encourage a culture of writing blogs not even podcasts in those days to be honest that's a more recent phenomenon but doing user group talks doing uh, conference talks working within the community on open source projects you know all that kind of stuff really enhanced your reputation and it kind of brings me on to my last point before i'll draw breath and give someone else a chance <laughs> to chat um but this is all around actually building personal brands. So, you know, what we did was we developed a culture of encouraging people to build personal brands. It became part of the interview process. You know, it was almost a selling point for us um, in many ways. And, you know, we, whereas some companies were reticent at doing that because they felt that if people did that, they'd get poached by recruiters. We took the opposite view by doing that. Yes, they'll get the phone calls from recruiters, but they're going to get those anyway. What we felt was that by giving people a platform to build a personal brand, that they were more likely to stay with you. And you do other stuff within your culture to make sure that people really enjoyed working for your organization. It's, you know, it's not just something that you do in isolation. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about culture in, a, in another podcast. But yeah, so building personal brands is a big part of the whole picture. Building and getting involved in communities is really important. And all of that is driven by producing expert content. No, I think I'd really, you know, obviously having been at Cake when obviously all this was going on, sort of, I think the time that you gave people and the encouragement to write, you know, because a lot of people weren't particularly confident at writing, um, at actually going and presenting. And that, those initial sort of blogs that came out and some of the views that they got and the encouragement you gave to then go and turn those blogs into talks and go and do that really enhanced reputation. And I think the only thing I'd like to add to that point is it's not just about your tech people either. You know, even even I did a talk in Manchester at one of the um, project management groups and sort of, you know, had a good chat with some people there. So it's really not just, you know, you want you, you want to be known for what you're doing and whether if it's tech, blogs, even open source code, to some extent as well can work in the same way. I remember there was some work that some of the chaps did and uh, open sourced it. It was one of the most used things around Kafka and um, Scala integrations which is great. And I think it really, like I say, Kate's reputation. You saw it every, I think every single conference that we went to, and it wasn't just the coffee machine that we brought with us. That helped. I mean, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it really helped. I mean, if there's one thing that devs like, it is coffee. So, um, I mean, Georgia, sort of going into what Guy said there, I mean, how common do you think that is in terms of people just, you know, or starting with the big block of a book and sort of, especially when thinking about startups, how, what approach would you suggest people take these days? It's a good question. I think Guy touched on a really important point, which is about it being a part of the company culture and the brand. So it's like part of your strategy. So it's not like a, I think maybe sometimes people see writing a book as like a one-off special thing, and it certainly can be. But actually, you know, there's no law on how many pages makes a good book. It's all about creating the most, you know, just focus on the reader and, and what you're trying to get across. And whether that's, you know, it might be a, a 70 book, like a mini book, and you might put one of those out a year, or it might be something more like a 200 page sort of thing that, you know, you hope will be getting you results for two, three years. Or it might be a much larger sort of Bible of whatever your field is, like I mentioned that Kate did at first. So there are loads of different ways to approach it. So I would just encourage people not to limit themselves 
by assuming that all of these things are something that other people do and not them. And also thinking that, you know, brand building is about like a company image or it's just a business leader. It can be everybody in an organisation just coming together to express an overall message. But I think usually people people's ears start to pick up maybe when they start to learn about some of the results as well that using content in this way can actually gain. You know, for, for, for most companies that I work with, it doesn't matter what industry they're in, we have a particular process that we use to put uh, books, blogs and podcasts together. And it works for absolutely any industry, any topic, because it focuses on the way that the information is gathered. And, and, and also we reverse engineer it to help people meet their commercial goals they want to get out of it. So I think when thinking of using content as a part of your business growth strategy, you know, first of all, set your goals. So, you know, a year from now, what sort of things need to be going on for you to really know that that content's doing a good job, whether it's you know, a certain number of leads are coming in, whether it's, you know, you're making a certain amount of money, whether it's a certain amount of positive reviews or referrals, whatever it is, get clear on what you want to get out of it. And then set metrics around those. So again, like lead gen, okay, fine, is that 100 leads? Is it 10? Like, how do you qualify a lead? And then you can start to put strategies around the content in terms of where to publish it and who to put it in front of. But just to give an idea of what that might look like, you know, typically for for business books, working with business leaders that have some kind of high value proposition, we're looking at them getting returns of 80 to 120,000 pounds in the first 12 months that they can directly attribute to the book. But actually, many will say it's many, many more than that. You know, a number of clients will say they got minimum seven figure return because it's all about how you leverage it with the people that you want to be doing business with rather than just thinking in terms of, okay, that book's going to cost, you know, 10 pounds, I'll get a three pound royalty. I was going to say, uh, just to go on George's point as well, I think, and to pick up on something I just want to talk about, because this is a big fear of a lot of startup you know, entrepreneurs is how long is all this going to take? You know, as a, an entrepreneur in a startup, you track of all trades normally. You know, you have to have your finger in most pies. You probably haven't got a team of people around you at that from the outset that can do all this for you. So, you know, you need to be efficient with your content generation and your marketing. So, you know, to give you an idea, you know, the startup factory, you know, we we're putting our money where our mouth is in this regard. We you know we've written a book. So we've got actually got eight authors altogether involved in this book. And some of them are our suppliers, interestingly. So you can take the pressure off yourself a little bit by involving other people and, you know, still having something really good at the end of it. We then, you know, for the last, well, for the last 12 episodes before this, and then probably for the next few, we're actually talking around the, some of the subjects that are in the book. So we're kind of reusing that content. We're just talking about it in a different way. We're passionate about it. And we're going to reach different audiences with the podcast than we will with the book. And on top of that, we're also getting the podcast transcribed into blogs. And again, you know, that's a really smart reuse of content because, you know, we will hit different audiences with the blog compared to the book, compared to the podcast. So we're trying to spread the net far and wide and deliver the content in slightly different ways, but still get the message across. And involving other people as well means that you're not kind of doing that all yourself and your team aren't all doing it. Maybe some of your suppliers are going to chip in or some industry experts. So, you know, you can produce a book, podcasts and blogs and use that content really efficiently. 
So, you know, if you think about it from that, from the outset, and then plan that into what you're doing, maybe you start to write the book before you launch your startup. You know, maybe that's an option. Maybe you do that as a bootstrapping, you know, in whatever role you're in at that particular point. So you've got something that you can start with. So it just needs to be thought about in advance and then rolled out and make it part of your culture. Everyone you take on get involved in it and you know make an ongoing thing it has to last the life of your company not just the first few weeks you are right it can't be a one-off if it's a one-off it's it's only gonna it'll get one-off results you know you just you get out what you you get back what you put out there and um, you are right guy it needs to be a consistent effort but on the point of leverage that you mentioned as well you know turning a podcast audio can be transcribed and then written up into blogs and they can also be put together after a few months and turned into your next book but it also means that if you're putting a blog and a podcast out there on a weekly basis you know given that it's only a few hours and you can have these done without doing the writing even or the you know the editing of the audio then uh, you're also building a platform and then you can when you come to launch your book you've got a ready uh, audience there as well so it helps with all of the other marketing that's attached to the content like you can build an email list with your blog and podcast so that then you can launch your book that way and um, you can use parts of your book as a download available on your website and then you can use that to draw them back to the other resources you've got so like Guy says it's really a part of making it a part of your business strategy rather than like a one-off thing. No I think that's I think they're all great points and I think one of the things is obviously when you're talking about all the ways that you can do this obviously there's companies like yourself that can help do that and even if you're really bootstrapping things at the start there are tools you can use and obviously you can manually transcribe things just to actually get this done and to try and do things as a startup, obviously cost is one of those things that you're always trying to keep in mind of. But I think something that uh, we've been alluding to, and obviously I'll try and wrap things up to now we're getting towards the uh, the big 25-minute mark, is that marketing shouldn't just be viewed as a cost and sort of something that's just you do it. And like I say, it's not a waste. That it's not something you just do for the sake of saying that you do it with purpose and intent. Do create the culture which encourages people to write the content. I know, like I say, going back, all the way to the cake days, people were given time to write blogs, prepare talks, practice them at lunch and learns, which is something we mentioned in the um, culture episode last week, to really get a culture where people want to produce their expert content and then obviously have someone using tools that are available or once you get to the stage where you can use people like George to really help accelerate that and really make sure that content's getting in front of the people who want to see it. It can be my one takeaway well, I say it's, it's quite a big takeaway. It's like a big, that's a big Friday night job of a takeaway rather than just a, <laughs> a small one. So, I mean, I'll just throw it back to you guys and say, really, what's that? What's the one takeaway that a found, if a founder was to listen to this, that you'd really want them to take away as regards to marketing as a whole within a startup? I mean, Guy, do you want to? Yeah, I'll go and then George, you can uh, add a wisdom to the last point of the episode. Um, I think for me, start early. And if you can, start before you've even founded your company. And what I mean by that, it takes time to build a personal brand. It takes time to be seen as an expert. It takes, you know, I think probably you'll start to see results after six months of effort. So, you know, if you're going to write a book or you're going to write blogs or you're going to do podcasts, start them before you start your company. Start to build your name and your reputation early. And then when you take people on, and make sure that the people you take on are going to help you with that and, and are up for building their own personal brands because that will make your life a lot easier and it becomes part of your culture. If you do that from the outset, it will put you ahead of the game. 
If you don't, you'll be playing catch-up because it does take time to build momentum, but it's well worth it. I've seen it work in a number of companies that I've been involved with now. Cool. Georgia, what, what would your takeaway be? Um, really good um, yeah, I would just, just you know, face to face is no more. Sadly, and it'll be some time before we get a lot of face time with the people we do business with again. So, putting content out there and building, you know, making it a part of your culture, building your brands, it's really, really important. And without it, you it'd be very incredibly difficult. In fact, I'd say impossible to be to be seen or heard. So, don't don't delay. Just get started. Like, don't worry about it being perfect. Don't worry about having access to the best tools. Don't worry about you know a recording studio for a podcast. It can all be done on Zoom. Just like this podcast. <laughs> yeah, then this is it. Just yeah, just get just get going. And you know, if you are in a position to uh, put some budget behind it, it's definitely an investment rather than a cost. I think this podcast really is the definition of eating our own dog food, isn't it? <laughs> I think it really is. <laughs> really is. So, I mean, thanks, guys, for your time, um, obviously, Guy. And then, Georgia, where can people find you again if people want to get in touch about, obviously, you know, if they want to start a podcast or a blog? Thanks, James. Uh, contact me directly on georgia at rightbusinessresults.com, which is W-R-I-T-E, which is probably obvious. Uh, <laughs> You say that, but I don't think anything's obvious these days, especially with people listening. So again, thanks very much for your time both. Um, next week, Guy, I think you're on for a third week after... Wow, it's uh, a hat-trick. So, and we'll be talking all about the role of the non-exec director. So, obviously, again, and we'll know the outcome of the Man City-Burnley game as well then, James, won't we? Which we may discuss depending on the result. Yeah, so if there's <laughs> any tension on the call between uh, you, but you Ian and I, people can probably guess why at that point. So, But no, thanks again, guys, and I uh, look forward to speaking to you next time. Excellent. Thanks, James. Thanks, Georgia. Bye-bye. I think that just about wraps things up here. If you have any thoughts or questions on anything we've said today, get in touch, whether that be through our Twitter, at RealTSF, or email at hello at startupfactory.tech, or feel free to drop in for a coffee and a chat. As ever, thanks for listening.